And, you know, again, that's, that's going to make a certain effort of mine to, to bring guys in that are smart, tough, dependable, love ball, and are going to do things the right way. And the more of those guys you have, again, it's not always, you know, collecting talent. It's the right type of guys that also have talent. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet. Our next guest is Joe Shane. Joe is the current GM of the New York Giants after previously being the assistant general manager of the Buffalo Bills and also a scout for the Dolphins and Panthers. Joe is a guy that I've spent a good amount of time with, and I have a ton of respect for him. From the work ethic he brings daily to the way he treats people, his story and words are bound to entertain and impact you today. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you turn in weekly. Thanks and enjoy. If you've been a loyal listener to this podcast, you're going to love my new book, Tackle What's Next. It's fueled by many lessons learned from these excellent podcast guests and interviews that I've done. It is out now on presale on Amazon, and the link to purchase that is in the show notes. Please go out and purchase that. It would mean the world to me. Shane, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, this is uh, this is quite an honor. And um, I'm used to seeing your face in the gym before games. And for these past couple of years with COVID and everything else, I haven't got to see you as much. So I am looking forward to catching up today. And first, how are you guys settling in on the other side of the state? Oh, we're settling in well, again, with, uh, you know, my previous experience with uh, Brian Dayball, you know, that really helped the uh, transition process in terms of um, you know, just meetings, whether it was any part of the calendar from, you know, the combine to how we're going to do free agency meetings to draft meetings. Um, you know, we just kind of, you know, rolled the suitcase in, unpacked it, and we were, hit, you know, hit the ground running. So, you know, that was nice. Um, you know, again, you're, you, you prepare for this job your entire life, and there's always going to be things that you don't expect, and there's really no manual for, you know, some of the daily issues that arise. But, you know, having somebody that I previously worked with, you know, I didn't realize how, uh, much of an asset that would be, but you know, it's been a, a it's been a real smooth transition because of Brian and I's previous experience. Yeah, I would I would assume that familiarity when there's time of transition obviously can bring um, you know just a better relationship to the table. You're not having to figure each other out as you're moving forward, trying to figure out a new place and how you're going to address everything. So that makes a ton of sense. Before we dig in, I got to know I was spending some time with Brandon Bean last week, and he was telling me about this Scotland trip, which. I'm in on the next one. I missed out on this one. But uh, have you got, I mean, you, you pop right into a job that requires so much work. Have you prepped for that trip at all? Oh, no, no. I was telling somebody that yesterday. I'm like, gosh, you know, this trip was planned. I looked at it the other day. We paid for it in 2019. Right. A year in advance. And then, you know, 2020 came around with COVID and 21, it got canceled. So, you know, it's been paid for for three years. But uh, yeah, I definitely thought I'd be playing more golf and preparing for this trip than, than what I have been. But I've only played four or five rounds, but I've had so much fun doing what I'm doing with the job. I kind of put, you know, the, the, the chance to go and spend time with buddies in Scotland and play golf. Obviously, I want to play good, but regardless how I play, it's going to be a blast. Right. And there's different seasons of life. And when you achieve your dream job, there's there's no sense in worrying about a couple missed rounds of golf. That That's something I always had to constantly remind myself when, you know, we might have something in spring that makes me miss a Kentucky Derby and it's weddings in the fall. It's like, look, you worked your whole life for this. It's not forever, especially when you're playing. OK, let's let's not worry about it. a couple of missed you rounds. You nailed it. When you said you achieved your dream job, like, does that round of golf? You know, if I 
if I shoot 90 over there or hundred, like, does it really matter? Like, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's something, you know, I'm just, again, it, it kept getting canceled. So the fact that we finally get to go, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to be with buddies and golf and, you know, being overseas again. So traveling, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just don't get COVID and get stuck trying to get back here. But even yeah, then, exactly, it's not putting, exactly. It's not butting up against training camp, so that's yeah, all. yeah, exactly. Well, I, I know, uh, you know, I used to work with the Dolphins, as you mentioned previously, and I know they played over there this year. And Bill Galante, one of their operations guys, he actually tested positive, you know, before they came back. So he had to stay back and spend ten days over there. So I, I, knock on wood, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let's dig into your story a little bit. You play your college football at DePaul University. You graduate. What leads you to want to get into scouting? Yeah, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was a communications major, and I was kind of a communications major because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that was kind of all encompassing. If you could communicate with people, you know, you could go, you go a lot of different avenues. So um, they had a unique program at DePaul University. It's called winter term. So the month of January, you had to do an off-campus internship your sophomore, junior, and senior year, or you could travel abroad. But your freshman year, you had to stay on campus. So uh, my junior year, you know, I wanted, I knew I wanted to do something in sports. And my mom had um, owned a hospitality business that dealt with NASCAR, and she knew the neighbor of the ticketing manager with the Carolina Panthers. So I'm like, hey, a chance to get in the NFL, albeit ticketing. Um, it's a chance to get in and start networking. So. I got the job. Uh, the season was over, you know, again, January ticket office. There wasn't, you know, a lot going on. I was answering phones and then doing, um, you know, looking at doing the stock of the suites throughout the stadium, you know, what furniture was there, alcohol, you know, just going through, you know, the entire stadium doing that. And at the time, the ticket office, there was only four or five people in there, uh, intimate setting, got to know everybody really well. And they said, hey, if you want to come work training camp, um, you know, we'll get you in contact with this guy named Brandon Bean. And you could maybe be one of his interns. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, I got enough going on this summer. I could go home and work or, you know, come out here and do an internship with an NFL team. Again, I'm Division Three, So, you know, it's not, you know, I had to pay for my cleats, my, my shorts, all that stuff. You know, I didn't get all the free stuff I was playing. I wasn't on scholarship, but, you know, I was playing for the love of the game. So a chance to go work in the NFL uh, was a great opportunity. So, um, again, not really knowing what I was getting into football operations at an NFL team. Uh, you know, I went and I actually started with Carolina Panthers, uh, on my 21st birthday, um, wow. was the day I met Brandon Bean. Uh, and you know, we drove from Charlotte down to Spartanburg, you know, I was putting beds in the rooms, the TVs, cause they went away similar to how we did with Buffalo to Rochester, you know, setting the rooms up Gatorades in the refrigerators, doing all that stuff. So, um, that's how I spent my 21st birthday, but you know, from there, um, you know, Brandon's, you know, did a good job. We became fast friends, you know, on the basketball court competing and, uh, you know, working for him. And he said, hey, if, if, if there's something you want to do, you know, I'll keep my eyes and ears open if something opens up as I went back for my senior year of college. And um, ultimately they had a job opening in uh, scouting. And again, still didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know a lot about scouting um, at the time. And, you know, I was on the job for five, six days and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. You know, fell in love with it. was very passionate about it. So. Man, what a story. One uh, communication majors at Louisville were the guys that knew they could get some easy classes in. <laughs> I, I, and I took a few as electives. I'm not going to lie. And, yeah. and looking back, I, I should have gotten into communications. Political science was a ignorant major for me to get into knowing I wanted <laughs> nothing to do with that, but that's besides right. the point. And for all those listening out there, it's, Every time I speak to almost anyone in front office work now in, in the NFL, it's a very similar story. Get your foot in the door, work your tail off, and eventually 
if you treat people right and work hard enough, the breaks will come, but there's very few John Lynch's out there. I get so many calls nowadays from guys like, Hey, how do I get an in with ESPN? Hey, can you hook me up with someone with the bills? And I'm like, yes, but you're probably not going to like either of the jobs they offer you, but that's how you get your foot in the door. You're going to go get someone coffee. You're going to be stocking dorm rooms or suites with the ticket office. And eventually your time will come, but we live in this kind of microwave society where everyone thinks nowadays that the jobs are those big time jobs are just coming. And I have a ton of respect for your story because I know there's a ton of work along the way. There's a lot of early mornings and late nights before you're, you're sitting in the seat you are now. Yeah, I you're to- right. And I, I just, I just talked to, we just hired three new in-house scouts. Um, you know, again, that's where I started. Like you're, you know, again, it was back when there was beta, we were making cutups, you're picking people up at the airport. And I sat across from those three um, scouting assistants yesterday and I talked to them. I was like, I was in your shoes, you know, 21, 22 years ago. And, you know, again, it's you're you're in the uh, infancy stages of working in the NFL, like their first impression. So when you when a coach asks you to do something or I ask you to do something, you know, the ability to be able to count on you that you're going to do it right. Or if, if I ask you to take something to John Mara, I need to know it's done right. But if, if you lose somebody's trust early on, it's going to be hard in this business. But, you know, what I can see is you're the first one in. You're the last one to leave. When I give you a job to do something, it's done properly. It's done efficiently. I don't have to double check you. And it makes my life easier and our coach's life easier, whatever it may be. And then from there, as you build trust, you know, you start to take on more. And then, you know, that's how you start to ascend versus, to your point, you know, being born on third base and just wanting to be at the the end game without doing all the work to get there. Yeah. And and people see the one scenario of the guy that started on third base. And generally those guys in this industry are NFL Hall of Famers. And that, that works for the broadcast industry, too. For every Tony Romo for every what will be Tom Brady with this new $375 million deal. There's so many others that just had to organically work their way up through a sideline job, a radio gig. And then eventually you see them on TV and someone says, man, I want, I want that job that, you know, Brian Greasy has now. Well, you know, Brian Greasy did radio for a long time before you ever saw him on the spotlight on ESPN. But Yes, that we can. Yeah, we can. Everybody's, everybody's got a different path. And like I told them yesterday, it's a, once you're there, I told him, I said, the hardest part's over. You're in the building. Yes. You got a job in the NFL. It's a scouting assistant job. And I get resumes upon resumes upon resumes daily. I said, but, you know, the three of you are sitting in these seats. Now it's up to you. You know, you, the hardest part's over. You're in the seats. So, you know, it's what you do when you when you get the opportunity and, you know, how you take advantage of it. Exactly. What was your biggest miss in scouting? Does like one player stick out to you that, you thought, man, this guy is surefire hitting the NFL, and this is no shot at a specific player. It's almost more of a compliment because he, obviously he would have had to have a great college career. It's funny because uh, Brandon Bean actually got asked that. I remember it might have been when he interviewed for the San Francisco job. He got he got asked that question. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. I mean, what what you do is when you do miss, you you look back on why and. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say, again, I know the why, but like we, Deion Jordan and, and, uh, when I was with Miami, right. Uh, you know, he went number three overall and he was a kid that had a ton of ability, um, athletic, tall, long, could bend, he could do a lot of things. And, um, you know, I would say him, but again, I, I still go back to, you know, missing on, you know, sometimes the, the person more than the, the talent. Right. Um, if that makes sense. And again, 
there, you know, there's, there's several people along the way, you know, again, we go back to receivers, you know, there's 25 receivers taken each year. Well, you know, why do some, some make it, you know, we had, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry he runs a four, seven jumps 27. Why does Jarvis Landry have success in this league? Well, he's probably one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. Practice player game, uh, Steve Smith, third round pick, you know, he's short, you know, whatever small, why is he successful? Well, he's one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. So, Again, like you can grade the film, but really being able to evaluate the person and what's inside that, that you can't see with the naked eye, I think is the most important part of that. So, you know, looking back, I would say Dion was one that, you know, Jordan, I, I thought would have a lot, you know, long, successful career. Yeah, we did too. And I was with the Bills when you guys drafted him. And we were thinking, man, they're going to move this guy around and he's probably going to end up over me in the middle. He's going to be out on the edge <laughs> to be able to do anything they want with him. But, you know, yeah. that happens. That happens at times. We were kind of thinking the same thing when we drafted Aaron Maben, who was drafted earlier than me in the first round in 2009. Yeah. Like, okay, we can move this guy anywhere. And it just, it just doesn't work out in some cases. You mentioned competitiveness twice. And uh, up in my upstairs office, I have the John Wooden uh, signed pyramid of success and at the very top the best coach of most successful coach of all time winningest in college basketball competitive greatness and yep. it's that competitiveness now you need a skill set in the nfl to match it you need a certain amount of size to be able to play on the field yeah man you give me 10 other competitive guys that kind of had that threshold and that was a lot of our secrets that was a lot of our secret sauce in buffalo yeah was, okay we got to be we got to have players that are good enough but Bean comes in, McDermott comes in, and we trade everybody away. And we all, th everyone, everyone from the outside in thinks we're tanking. And, but yeah. we have a bunch of competitive dudes, and that's the team that breaks the playoff drought. So it's funny how yeah. that all works. How about that? That I, like people don't talk about that enough, Eric. Like I just, the positions we put Sean in that year. Now I, I say, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, hey, we're going to trade Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby. And I'm going to, again, I wasn't in the team meeting the next day, but hey, we're not tanking. We're going to go compete. You know, Marcel Darius, um, Reggie Ragland. You know, we got rid of a lot of guys, you know, that were talented players. Right. Um, but for Sean to, you know, Jesus, the respect I have for him, to go in front of the team and still sell, hey, we're competing. We are trying to win this year while also building for the future. And I just – I thought, you know, again, we played Peterman, you know, the game out there. The Chargers, and the next week we go on the road and beat Kansas City. Just heck right. of a job by, again – our concerted effort for guys like you and Kyle Williams and Lorenzo Alexander, um, you know, even Tyrod, he had a tough, tough deal there where he got benched and he came back, but just a veteran guys that were, you know, our type of guys that, that were the glue in the locker room and kept the team together and, you know, we're able to break the playoff drought. I mean, I just, I, I reflect back on that year a lot and, you know, the ups and downs and, you know, again, it was a testament to guys like you and those other guys I mentioned, you know, that kind of kept the team together. Yeah, and what a special season that ended up being. I was uh, able to enter the building last week for the first time since pre-COVID, so I had a lot of good, long conversations with people. And, we're, and we were a lot of the talks became what the organization is now. And, you know, I'm looking out on the field, and there's Von Miller running around. It looks like an all-star team out there, but that wasn't right. the case necessarily when I was there. Yeah, We were talking about, you know, you got to be patient in an organization, and you got to be patient with a player like Josh who's got tremendous upside. And we were talking about – that especially coming off the Rex Ryan year, if you remember back, third game of the year we're playing at Atlanta, we end up getting that win to go to two and one to start the season. But Atlanta's got to play at the end to try and win the game. Well, we only have 10 guys on the field and Matt Ryan on, on defense and Matt Ryan throws an incompletion. Well, like the fan base was so 
they were so spurred by Rex Ryan and some miscommunications that if the Falcons win that game, the fan base has a terrible taste in their mouth with Sean McDermott early. Instead, yeah. we win, we go to two and one. It's just amazing in life how those little things kind of shape the trajectory of an organization or a career or a person. And we were yeah, having man. some having some laughs about that. And that being said, just we we're talking about the Bills, and we're going to get back to you, or get to the Giants a little bit. But how tough was it to leave Buffalo? I mean, that's yes, you we talked about it. You're sitting in your career the pinnacle right now if you're in scouting if you're in front office work being the gm that's it but how tough is it to leave a place like buffalo where you're leaving so many people you're so close to yeah it was it was really tough because there wasn't again the, the hours we work and you know the time we put in when you can get up every day and it's it's never uh it's never a grind or i'm never like oh my god i gotta go to work like it was amazing working for brandon terry and kim you know the pagulas they're their unbelievable ownership and then Sean and the coaching staff. Like we had a true bond and chemistry from the personnel staff to the coaching staff through ownership. And, you know, again, we had all rolled up our sleeves early on and, you know, it was a long process and, you know, to get the team to where it, where we were, you know, playoffs three out of four years. And, you know, we felt like we had a really good team that, you know, was a Super Bowl, you know, caliber team. So yeah, it's, it was obviously hard to leave and, um, you know, Brandon's one of my best friends in the world and, you know, also a mentor. So, you know, him and I had a great relationship where, you know, I could tell him, no, that's stupid. Don't do that. Or he could say, no, what, you know, I mean, we just, we could go back and forth. And when you can work with somebody and you can say whatever you think or whatever you feel and have those honest conversations and dialogue, you know, a lot of times it'll lead you to the best decisions. And we had a really good, you know, scouting staff when we got there, you know, if you remember, they had fired everybody. It's post-draft, right. you know, the whole pro scouting staff, the college scouting staff had gotten fired. And, you know, I'm sitting there in Miami and I'm like, I'm about to go to Buffalo. They haven't made the playoffs in 17 years. I had played you guys twice a year because I was in Miami. And, you know, I remember just kind of thinking in my head, like, I'm going to go up there and, you know, I'm either going to be an area scout in three years or, you know, <laughs> have a chance to be a general manager, depending right. on, you know, I, I believe in Brandon, I believe in Sean, you know, what do you tell? I hadn't met the Pagulas at the time, but what Brandon had told me about the Pagulas, you know, I just really believed in the vision and the people. And I think that's the most important part is that they're the right people. And, you know, you were just there. There's a lot of great people in that building. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very difficult. It, was, it wasn't an easy decision because if the situation wasn't right, I was comfortable with that. Like I could come back, you know, we got Josh Allen, we have a good roster. Uh, we knew we were going to be competitive year in and year out. So I was at peace either way, but you know, the giants being the historical franchise and, you know, the mayor and the Tish family, um, it just felt like a really good fit. Um, and back to what you were saying real quick off of that. I always thought too, what if we didn't make the playoffs that first year? Okay. Right. Year two, we go six and 10. You're talking about patience. Year two, we go six and 10. We got, Derek Anderson starts a game. Matt Barkley starts a game. Josh Allen, so, you know, I mean, Peterman started the opening game against Baltimore, four different quarterbacks, and we managed to win six games. Going into Josh's year three, like, would we have been on the hot seat? Oh, right. Like, seriously, like, I look back, but, you know, the patience that Terry and Kim showed to, to, to you know, believe in the vision and see it through, um, you know, in our seats, you're always thinking, you know, I always, you know, think, hope, hope for the best, but, you know, plan for the worst, and I'm thinking – you know, if, if we wouldn't have made it that first year, where would it be year three? Did we, do we have as long a leash? Are we on the hot seat? You know, when you really have a good head coach and a good general manager in place, you know, sometimes, you know, everybody wants those results now, like we were talking about earlier with some of the positions, but uh, you know, I give Terry and Kim a lot of credit too, to believe in the vision and, you know, allow Brandon and, and Sean to see it through. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you would like to think that they could have had the long-term vision. And as an owner of the NFL uh, team, obviously in Buffalo, they've done such a great job at being patient and making all the right decisions. But when the fan base starts clamoring, you ultimately yeah. have to sell tickets. <clears throat> and so I would like to think that the Bugles would have had long-term vision, but maybe not. And when you talked about coming up to Buffalo and you're either going to leave an area scout or a GM, that, <laughs> I think a lot of guys have made decisions like that heading to Buffalo over the years. And going back to this all-star team and staff and organization they've assembled now, which you're a huge part of setting that culture and, and setting all that in place there. It's just amazing. And it's, it's a lot of fun for me to see and, and be a small part of now, but it's a ton of fun just to see how it's all shaped since that, that moment. And yeah, well, your, your contract extension was one of the first things we did. I mean, we, yeah, we knew like, you know, Hey, it's a good quarterback class the next year. You know, the thought process was, Hey, let's have the quarterback of the O-line in place. If we had, if we get a young quarterback, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, again, then you played 100% of the snaps. I mean, it was just amazing. I, I was crushed that day when uh, we found out about the, that your career was over, but yeah, you were a big part of that too, Eric, you know, all those guys we mentioned earlier, just laying the foundation in terms of what we wanted to be about and how we wanted to do things. And you guys carrying the message throughout the locker room. I mean, that goes undervalued. And a lot of people don't talk about that, but you know, it's important if the players can run the locker room and, you know, again, carry the coach's message and, and enforce the rules that goes a long way. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. And th that's why in any organization, a football team, particularly like what we're talking about here, but any organization, you have to pay and reward those that are relaying the right types of messages. And it might not even be verbally. It can be, I heard, um, oh, who coached for you guys in uh, Ron Rivera. I heard him talking about rewarding uh, Ryan Kerrigan with an extension in Washington. And, you know, he's getting later in his career. They had just drafted two outside linebackers and pass rushers. And everyone's like, why would you give him another contract? And he said, Ryan, every single day emulates what we want a Washington football team member to be. And I'm fine with paying him. Even if the production might not be what it was, I need that emulated each and every day. And that stood out to me in that moment. Okay. That that's a coach who gets it because yep. Because Ryan is going to relay everything down, and it's going to be a whole lot easier to run a football team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, those guys we mentioned earlier, then we brought in a Lee Smith, and it was just important to know those guys. I mean, even, you know, like a guy like Lee Smith, when we were going through, you know, COVID and social unrest and, and you know, a lot of that stuff, to have, have a voice in there that can talk to the team and, you know, kind of calm the waters at times or, you know, have, you know carry the message up to the head coach, hey, we need to pull back, you need to – you know, maybe we should go inside today and sit outside with, you know, three inches of snow on the ground or just the pulse of the locker room. You know, I just think that's, you know, that's something I learned from Sean, just the the leadership and um, in the locker room. And he said it, one of the first things he said to me is, you know, the, mo the, the best teams I've ever been on aren't necessarily the most talented teams, but they're the best team, you know, right. guys that have a bond and are doing the right things and everybody's rowing in the right direction. So that's always been an emphasis of mine, you know, again, since being around Sean and Brandon. And I think that's a big part of how the foundation was laid, you know, in Buffalo because of that. For sure. So now you transition over to New York. One of your first orders of business has got to be to hire a head coach. You spent so much time with Brian Dayball and, you know, it always, it amazed me, especially over the last couple of years with the success of the Bills offense, the success of Josh Allen, that Dayball didn't get that chance to be a head coach. And I felt honestly, and I never made any public statements, but it was going to be really, really tough for him to ever get a head coaching job. I felt like if 
you turned him down because you spent so much time in the building with him in Buffalo. That being said, you do bring him over to New York and Dayball is the guy who I have a tremendous amount of respect for former players, current players and around the league. And it kind of amazed me why he hadn't got that chance. And I don't need to know why you think he hadn't got that chance to be a head coach yet, but what stood out to you most about why you wanted to bring him as your first head coach hires GM. Yeah, Eric. And I'll be honest with you. That's one of those, like, how do you really know? I mean, look how many coaches you probably played for, head coaches. Um, Look at all the good coordinators that have gotten head coaching jobs and haven't had success. So honestly, leading up to, you know, me aspiring to be a general manager, that's, I ask those questions all the time. Like, what makes a good head coach? I would ask players. I would ask, you know, Micah Hyde and those guys, why do you think Sean's having success? Just trying to find out what the traits are, because you really don't know. I, Mike McCoy, I worked with, he became head coach of the Chargers. I think the world of Mike. And for whatever reason, he didn't have success out. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of factors. So to me, that's it's one of the hardest hires um, you'll ever have to make. And I don't know if I'm not very good at the interview process or not, but everybody we interviewed, I'm like, fuck, that guy, that guy was good. Like these guys, you know, so, you know, maybe it's just I naturally, you know, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You know, we interviewed a lot of good candidates, but, um, you know, with with Daniel Jones, where he is and, and, and Dayball's, you know, history with with quarterbacks and, you know, offense and, you know, just where we are in the trajectory of the franchise, you know, needing to find out what Daniel Jones is, you know, I think Dayball's going to do a, a good job with him and, you know, his leadership, what you're saying, like, the, you know, the way the players, you know, interact with Dabes and the way, you know, he interacts with not just the offensive players, the defensive players, getting to see that stuff firsthand, you know, was important when I'm talking about, you know, again, when you're the head coach, you're not just in a dark room for 18 hours a day, drawing up X and O's anymore. Like you got to right. be the true CEO leader, you got to know when to push players buttons, when to pull back or the entire team. And those are all questions you can't get answered until they're actually, you know, thrown into the fire. So, you know, you just got to take all the information you can and, you know, try to make the best decision for the franchise. And ultimately, you know, Mr. Mayor and Mr. Tish thought that was best, but uh, it's been great working with him so far. You know, he, you know, he was ready. You know, I I noticed that right away. Um, He came in and, you know, the leadership he's shown throughout the spring, uh, not with just hiring his coaching staff, but the players, the personnel staff, the entire organization. Uh, he's done a really good job. And, you know, I'm looking forward to August when we get the pads on and, you know, start working towards game one. Yeah. And this is an organization that is a storied franchise. You got four Super Bowls, eight total NFL championships, but you've only made the playoffs twice since 2011. And this it's not a revamp situation. It's a talented roster. It's, a, it's different than what you step into in Buffalo. But what's what goes into setting a culture to that, that, that doesn't need a full reset from the outside looking in, just needs to get back to expecting to win. That's something we always heard from Sean early on when he came to the Bills. Like, how do you get them expecting to win again? Yeah, expecting to win and, you know, just again, it's the the culture we, you know, you talked about and to the best of your ability, it's not like there weren't a lot of bad guys here or anything. It wasn't anything like that. I mean, some of it's just confidence and like knowing you can, knowing you can go out and compete and win games. So Dave's has done a really good job of that, of, of making an environment that's fun to come to work. We're going to work hard when we're in the building. We're going to do things the right way. He's his moniker around here, be a pro, uh, not going to have a lot of rules, but you know, we all know what it means to be a pro. He had every every player on the team just write, you know, one sentence on what it means to be a pro. And we've got what the players said all over the building too. Again, we're not gonna have a bunch of rules, but again, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to 
you know, we're going to have music at practice and music for, um, you know, our team meetings and little things like that have changed, but where the guys want to come to work, they want to hang out together. You know, that's going to start to build the, the foundation, you know, when guys want to be around each other, there was a, a fight a couple of weeks ago that was going to be, you know, in New York city and a bunch of the guys wanted to come here and, you know, be in the building and watch it together. And just the fact that they want to hang out, I think is a really good, really good start. But yeah, again, at the end of the day, you got to win and, you know, stacking days together by doing the right things. And, um, throughout the spring, which I think Dave's and his staff has done a good job with, I mean, hopefully will ultimately, um, lead to wins, but, you know, to your point earlier, you know, the Eric Woods, the Kyle Williams, Lorenzo Alexander's Lee Smith of the world. Like I got my eyes out for those guys. We didn't have a lot of money this year, so I couldn't really go, go out and do a lot in free agency, but you know, our draft picks leadership was important, you know, the right type of habits, you know, the, the football makeup was important to us. Um, and I think we do have enough leaders in the building that can kind of show the the rookie class and the onboarding process, what we want to be out, be about from, you know, Dave's and the coaching staff's message this far. So um, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, as you know, in, in Buffalo, it took us, you know, two, three years to, to get to where we wanted to. And, you know, you just got to keep your eye on that and believe in the vision and, and um, you know, try not to stray too far from it. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, one of the bad guys you were able to get out of the locker room quick is one of my best friends, Kyle Rudolph. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, that's also the, uh, the hard part. We tried to get him in Buffalo a year ago. He's I know. I'm just kidding. Um, but that's, what's hard. I mean, you got to come in and make tough to sit, you know, James Bradbury is a guy that Brandon and Sean hold in high regard. And I do too. He's been a good football player, but where we were financially, you know, it was hard to hold on to him or, you know, asking uh, Blake Martinez or Shep to take a pay cut. Like, you don't know these guys. You're just walking in and now, now you're the bad guy. But, you know, I mean, you don't, you know, again, those guys are leaders um, and you want them here. And luckily we were able to work something out. Both those guys were coming off injuries. Um, you know, they, they took a pay cut. But at the same time, part of them bringing, back, bringing both of those guys back is I knew that there was leadership. Um, some of the staff members that were holdovers, you know, those one's a leader on offense, one's a leader on defense. And, you know, again, that's that's going to make a certain effort to mind to, to bring guys in that the smart, tough, dependable, love ball and are going to do things the right way. And the more of those guys you have, again, it's not always, you know, collecting talent. It's the right type of guys that also have talent. Smart, dependable, love ball and do things the right way. That, that applies to anything. It might not be love yep. ball, love what you do. But that's so good. I love how quickly you rattled that off because that shows me that that's something that's coming up on the tip of your tongue often when you're talking about guys that you're bringing in. And those are the guys that you can win with. A couple more for me. In a day and age where almost everyone out there is a fantasy football GM, so everyone thinks that they can run an NFL organization and they're, it's so easy to, to pick on GMs out there at times. Why would you bring in this guy to do that? All that being said, not on the decision-making end of things, but what is – one not so glamorous part about being an NFL GM. Oh, geez. I would say, you know, coach Barcells used to talk about it every day you come in and there's, is it a five alarm fire or a three alarm fire? And that's what it is. Like you come in every day and you know, this player has a personal issue. Well, you text them, they don't text you back. There's no communication or, you know, this player got hurt over the weekend doing something outside of football or, Hey, this guy, there's just always issues. Again, you're dealing right now with 90 players, uh, 22 coaches, you know, 20 personnel staff. Like there's a lot of people that you're managing and life happens and, and issues come up and there's just, there's no manual for some of this stuff. You know, just you right. know, general manager, 
you're generally managing a lot of things. So it's not just picking players. It's not just watching film. Like I rarely get to watch film anymore. And that's kind of what got me here was the evaluation and, you know, the drafting and the, the free agency in Buffalo, you know, a lot right now it's a lot of, you know, putting processes in place and how we're going to do things and, and managing, you know, groups of people. So I would just say the issues that come up that nobody knows about and you have to make a decision on, you know, how you're going to handle those things with, you know, setting precedent in the locker room with, I, I go back to remember Deion Dawkins, we, we flew to Miami and uh, you know, he had, he had had a baby or was about to have a baby. So he was going to fly back. Well, you know, do you, do you fly him back privately? Uh, well, then that sets a precedent. Well, what happens when Eric Wood or somebody else or their parents sick or, you know I mean? You're just always thinking right. about precedent that decisions make. So, you know, that's, that's probably the hardest part that people don't understand. It's not just going to games and watching football and, you know, you're, 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 there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and then also the media piece, like you were talking about, like, um, you know, especially in this market, you know, Hey, they're, they're trading player X. Well, you know, you're in a meeting and you get a text from your PR guy. Hey, is this true? We're trading. No, it's not true. Well, now I got to call the agent. I got to bring the player up. Now the other players are looking at me in the locker room, like, why would you try to trade that guy? And it's not, you know, it's not even happening. So just, uh, yeah, I could go on and on about the, uh, you know, the, the, the parts of the job that, that there's really no manual for, you know, as you're going through it. But I wish it was just watching, watching players and, and picking players. Cause you know, that's the part that when you get to that point and you can finally throw on the film and watch the film, that, that's the exciting part that you enjoy to do. Yeah. That all makes a lot of sense to me. And, and that's, that's why these jobs are tough to come by because you're you're doing a lot more than, than just scouting the players. Yeah, and and the uh, the negotiation part, the salary cap part. You you know you're trying to assign value to a player, and you go back and forth with agents because you know again, like every dollar I spend on player X, I can't spend on the next player. So you're trying to get the best value for players, and you know agents are wearing you down, and you're trying to find a you know that's where you know the draft is the best because you just turn in the card and they're yours. You know, right. agency is. You know, you're haggling, you're negotiating, you're going back and forth. Uh, you know, that's just all that stuff is, you know, again, that's a lot of this stressful part of the job that people don't realize. And that's why you pay an agent as a player. So that one, you have someone that's smarter than you in there negotiating for you. And two, so you don't hear have to hear all the bad things that your GM and everyone else upstairs is saying about you. Exactly. And you could just go about and do your job and not lose your confidence. Cause I'm sure it, through both of my negotiations, in any negotiation, there's going to be give and take. And I, yeah. I don't want to know what the give was on all that. Oh, exactly. And we have great relationships again, like those, you know, Lorenzo Alexander, when we redid him and uh, Kyle Williams and even Josh's deal, like we got good relationships with those guys and, you know, they got a value that, you know, the player sees himself in a certain value and the agent sees them. And then, you know, the team sees another value. So, you know, there is a, that's a good thing about having good negotiators on your staff. And then, you know, to your point, a good agent on the, on the player side. Definitely. Do you have a certain morning routine that you like to follow on, on days where there's not a five alarm fire at the building? <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm an early morning workout guy. So I get up about four 15, um, come in and work out. And I, I do that because typically if there's a five alarm fire, it's, you know, 8 AM on. So, you know, to me, it's kind of the two hours of my day where I'm to myself, I can gather my thoughts. Like I always have a, you know, the notes app on the iPhone, a lot of times when I'm working out, stuff comes in my head. I'll type stuff in. I try not to text my my staff at 5 a.m. what I'm thinking. But when I get up to my office, you know, some of the ideas I had while I was working out, I'll I'll shoot out emails or text from that. But it's if, if you don't work out early in the morning, you know, in this business, then it's probably not going to happen because too much stuff comes throughout the day. So um, as hard as it is some mornings to, to get up and go work out, it's just 
I feel a lot better afterwards, you know, the mental health, just the physical health, and, you know, really allows me to clear my mind before the day starts. Yeah, and, and there's just something about when the GM is in shape himself, and this is no <laughs> knock on anyone else, but when a GM and a head coach are both in shape and they're up in front of a room talking to you about discipline, it just goes a little bit further than the guy who looks like he just ate a box of donuts. <laughs> now, now, previous wins, previous reputation can supersede a lot of that. And, and you can overcome, you know, a physical appearance judgment at any time. I'm just letting you know from right when you're trying to gain respect of guys, when we would walk in the building and you, Bean and McDermott have all finished a workout by the time <laughs> I think I'm getting in there early at 545, you just yeah. have a certain amount of respect for those guys. So I would encourage you yeah. to keep doing that. Yeah, no, it's funny because you probably remember Tyrod. Tyrod's in there every morning too. Like yep. he was like that in Buffalo. He's always the first one in. And so sometimes you, be, you know, I got a great relationship with the strength coach because I see him every morning in there. It's just the two of us or, you know, Tyrod comes in early. You just get some of those relationships or spend time with people that you normally wouldn't have um, just by being in there. Yeah, Absolutely. Shane, I can't thank you enough for your time this morning. I know this is an extremely busy time of year. I tried to catch you before your time off this summer because I didn't want to take away time from your family or away from your Scotland golf trip. So thanks for yeah, making yeah. the time. I'm always in your corner. Anything I can ever do for you, you just let me know, brother. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate you having me. Yep. you follow me at all on social media, you have seen me rave about my sauna from Sauna Space, and I only promote products that I personally use myself. I'm excited to let you know that I now have an offer for the listeners. Sauna Space allows you to rejuvenate at a cellular level with a sauna that harnesses the power of the sun. Sauna Space combines cutting edge infrared technology with nature's ancient wisdom to help you find relief. What's that mean? You will get the many benefits of infrared light. You will detox your body through the pouring of sweat out of your body, and you will be charged by the grounding mat your feet will be on. If you want that explained further, go to episode 94 of this podcast, and the owner, Brian Richards, will explain them for himself. Everyone that has purchased one of these saunas has absolutely loved it. It is a vital part of my daily routine to optimize my body. This would make a perfect gift this holiday season. Use the link in the show notes and use code What's Next 5 for 5% off your order and your loved one will never feel better.